So can I ask a question first? So how many folks were here uh, last week for the session? Okay. So most people uh, in the room. So um, maybe I'll ask some questions along the way about um, things that we covered. Um, as your pastor says, we learn through repetition. So repeating some things is not going to be the worst um, just to kind of ingrain those things in our heads. So um, I, I've, I've seen the questions um, and I, I kind of have an idea about how much time that will be. So um, does anybody want to just, just take a, a stab at what compound interest is um, and describing that from last week? <laughs> She's the finance lady. Oh, that's the worst, right? Everybody's looking at you now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, you work with finances. Do you know what compound interest is? I'm not good at It's when you, like, if you would invest $100 and then you would get interest on that, like $14 interest, so then you would reinvest $114 and then you'd get more interest on that. Yeah. Well done. It almost like has a snowball effect. And then you hit a certain break point where the interest that you're earning on the account is actually greater than your initial investment. And you only get there through time. So so time is really, really powerful. That's why you know, I, I, I think it's wise on your pastor's part of having a lot of you younger folks um, come in because I mean even just a little goes such a long way uh, when you start early so even if you're thinking to yourself gosh I, I don't really feel like I have much um, just just a fractional amount wrong class uh oh wrong class uh oh Cool. What what else did somebody learn from last week that they want to share, if anything? I hope you learned something. Yeah, somebody share something. We weren't here last week. Yeah. Haley, was you here last week? Did you learn anything? Yeah, but I don't remember much. Did, did, did you go into the fact that, well, of course, they wouldn't understand this, but it's like they always use that rule of 72. Yeah, does anybody want to repeat the rule of 72? I did, I did use that. So. I learned it in school, and you said it last week. And yeah, I it's a it's how you get um, how long it's going to take to get your investment back. What the double or double? Somewhat, yeah. Yeah, something. Yeah, so good. No, I'm not taking So so he started it. So the rule of seventy two is it tells you how long it takes for your money to double. So how do you how do you do that? How do you get that number? Yes, because the word seventy two come from. You divide the, yeah, the percentage. 72 is the number that Einstein discovered is like this magical number that you've, if you divide it by your rate of return, the interest that you make. So let's say your rate of return is 10%. If you divide 72 by 10%, <coughs> well, that means that it takes 7.2 years for your money to double, right? Mm -hmm. That's the rule of 72. So it just, it kind of illustrates like, you know, compound interest and how powerful it is uh, by just, by, by just using that. So that was, that was Einstein's discovery was really the, the way all that functions and works. What else? Anybody learn anything else they want to share? 
there's different ways to invest. Yes. Like um, bonds and mutual funds. I don't know. I honestly don't remember what all you said, but yeah. Um, Which we hope to get in a little bit more in detail in that today. So that so that's a little bit more difficult to to go into in a large group setting. I think you can really get into some of the nuances of it now. So. Let's, let's um, perhaps go into some of the questions. And then if you have a question that comes from one of the questions, feel free to interrupt or interject. Is that okay um, yeah. if, the, if we yeah. go through that format? Yeah, so feel free to interject. And if, it's, if you ask a question before we get to the same question later, that's okay. There is, we're here to learn. The purpose is to be, this is to be functional, uh, not to have an order. So what was the first question? How much money do you need to start investing? Yeah, so this is an interesting question, um, and I, so I'll give a, a real-life illustration with myself that I thought might help you all. So I have, I have a daughter, a six-month-old daughter, and folks have a tendency to come and give um, you know, money to you occasionally when you have a child, um, and you, know, you arbitrarily spend it on diapers or whatever else. So... You know, we're, we're in a financial place where we don't necessarily need that money. So what we did is we, we set up an account for our daughter to where anytime anybody gives Christmas money, if they give, you know, 10 bucks here or there for anything, um, I take it and I put it into an investment account for her. It's not a college savings plan. I don't know what's going to happen with educational money. So I, I don't, that, that's not the route I went. It's just a regular brokerage account that you can invest in. And you don't have to have a whole lot to invest. I mean, in a, a mutual fund, you can, as long as you can buy one share is all you need. If you can buy one share with your, your money, then that's enough. And every time I get money, I put it in that account and I invest it. So the short answer to the question is next to nothing you can invest. So is there a limit to how many deposits you can do then? No, 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 these companies are all, as you know, these companies are all really happy. And you, of course, you asked that question. You, yeah, they're, they're happy to take your money, okay. you know. Uh, yeah, so, no, there's not in terms of the deposits, correct. Yes. So, last week I remember you saying a little bit about the definition of stocks and bonds, but I didn't hear you say much on Forex trading, which I, to my understanding is the simplest way to start out. So I didn't know if you could expand any on that. Like, Forex I, I'm not familiar with forex trading. Forgive me. Oh, Are you familiar? I mean, do you want to? I'm learning about it slightly, and I was like, I I've gone to like a, it's called a online trading academy, and I, I yeah. get emails, and I'm just that's what I'm interested in. Yes. And stuff, but I've been told that's a simple, simpler investing strategy. You know, yeah. Before you do stocks or bonds, like so got it. I, and I had the same similar question as her, like, what amount should you start out with when you're a beginner? doing all this like, yeah. yeah I I just I think something I'm not familiar with Forex trading so forgive my ignorance on it but um, yeah I, I don't I don't think there's too little for you to start with especially again if you have time it is amazing what time will do to your money if you take it and invest it so good answer to yes you, they may want to check with the companies about the fees yeah there's a lot of fees differs between the brokerage versus some versus others. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, so we can talk about this now. Um, I, I have it. I mean, I, I think we should talk about fees. I think it's important. Um, 
Why don't we plow through the questions to make sure that what you asked got answered, and then let's get to some of those things, because I do think that's a really, really important part of the discussion. How old is too old to start investing? Um, that, so that's another, you lose time. The older you are, the less powerful you have, the less time you have for your money to compound. But I mean, remember, what, what does somebody want to mention what an, an investment is? We went over that last week. You take some money put it away into something that you hope is going to give you a return that you'll use later for something else. So there is no age limit on that making sense. And I don't mean to be snarky, I don't, but that, that's just, there is no age limit. It's, it just depends on what you're saving for. If you're asking, is it, when is too late to save for retirement? If that's the question you're asking, it's a different question and, you know, it's the same answer. There's, you're, you know, if you haven't started saving yet, then you need to start saving for retirement. You know, um, but for the most part, the the answer is no. It's not. You're not too old to invest. I, I work with retirees. That's what I work with, and they are still investing even in their retirement because sometimes they're not spending the money that's coming in, and they're saving it for different goals. So these are 70 years old plus folks, and they're all investing. So the answer is no, you're not, you're not too old to invest. How hard is it to change the way your 401k invests your money? Yeah, how many folks in here have 401ks or access to them? Good. Good, yeah. Um, so the rules are different on 401ks. Um, you know, some, some will say, look, you can only move them quarterly or make changes to them quarterly. And everybody in here has mutual funds in your 401k, correct? Nobody has anything different than that in my... Yeah, every, it's, for the most part, everybody uses mutual funds in 401ks. So for the most part, a mutual fund, you can change it as much as you want. The only thing that you have to watch out for are short-term redemption fees on some mutual funds. So some of them will stop you from moving in and moving out quickly because that hurts other people in the actual mutual fund. So they have a short-term redemption fee that stops you. If you do a lot of day trading in your retirement account, which is not designed for trading, it's designed to be a long-term investment that you buy and hold. If you do that a lot, sometimes the employer uh, or the plan record keeper, such as Fidelity or Vanguard or whoever record keeps your, your 401k, they'll, they'll send you a kind of a nasty gram saying, hey, you're trading too much in your account. It's not designed for that. Um, so that's, that, that's, for the most part, though, it's not, it's not difficult. Uh, one of the advantages to a 401k is it has tax sheltering in it, which means it's tax deferred. Uh, so the changes that you're making are not taxable like they would be in a brokerage account. So you don't have to worry about if you do trade it dinging you or having any taxable events. So you can rebalance your portfolio whenever you want. Uh, without any taxable consequences. Do they try to hide those fees at all, or are they pretty upfront with telling you about the extra fees, like those short-term fees you were talking about? That's a good question. A lot of times, if you call a company and you're going into a fund, they'll tell you kind of through their disclaimer. They'll say, hey, you need to hold this fund for 90 days. It's usually like more volatile, like small-cap funds or international funds that tend to be more volatile. Those are the ones that people try to take advantage of short-term market swings. And that's where they'll, 
they'll, and they'll tell you, but most funds don't have them. It's usually not an issue in retirement plans, but I just wanted to point it out. Yeah, but yeah, and they'll, they'll usually tell you as you're trading into it, uh, or even if you do your trading online or you're rebouncing online, it'll tell you there. They, they don't really hide it much. It's a good question. What's the best way to invest outside of a 401k? Can we go to the next question first? Because I think yeah. it kind of interconnects to that one. Yes. What is the difference between a Roth and traditional IRA? All right. Anybody, anybody know what that is? Anybody want to take a stab at it? No. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Tackett knows the answers to all these questions he could be doing this morning. I already know because I'm Jerry Stoll. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> anybody want to take a stab? Yes, sir. Yeah, go ahead. Well, Roth is after tax, they already tax it, and then traditional is before tax, right? So then when they when you take it out, it's taxed. Correct. Yes. Yeah, so retirement plans again, they have they they're called qualified plans, and they get special benefits to them. So there's a couple of benefits that you want to consider when you think about investing in your 401k. Number one, sometimes you'll have a match, so you put in money and your employer puts in money as well. So if you don't know what your match is, then you should. Mm -hmm. um, you wanna call them and at a minimum, be putting in the maximum that they will match because that's free money. So the employer will basically say, you put in 1%, we'll put in 1%. Uh, sometimes they won't make you put anything, they'll put theirs in for free. It, there's different rules, but you just wanna make sure that you're getting every dollar from the employer that you possibly can in your 401k. One of the second advantages is they pick the fund lineup for you, so it's easy. A lot of folks don't know how to pick a group of funds or invest their funds, so they, they'll pick a group of funds for you, and it's pretty easy usually. If you don't know what you're doing, you can call a planned record keeper, such as Fidelity or Vanguard or whoever record keeps your, your 401k and they'll help you allocate it. They'll usually have like a risk tolerance questionnaire that you answer questions about your comfort level with risk and they'll give you an allocation that's appropriate for you. Um, so the, there's your two advantages there. Then one of the other advantages is tax deferral. Uh, so it's a qualified plan, meaning that if you save it for retirement, there's tax advantages built into it. If you save it on a traditional basis, the money is sheltered from taxes right now, and it grows tax deferred until later when you're retired and you pull it out, that's when you pay taxes on it. That's the traditional or the pre-tax contribution. So I've, I make $40,000 in a year. If I decide I'm gonna put 10% you know, into my 401k, that means $4,000 went in. At the end of the year, it only looks like I made $36,000 uh, on my taxable income because that went over to my retirement plan. Now, the, the part is the, 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 the catch is later when you pull that money out, you pay taxes on it then. So what's the benefit? Well, the benefit is when you invest in normal investments, they have something called tax drag. That means that a normal investment, when a dividend is paid out to you, you don't get to reinvest all that dividend. You have to pay taxes on it. That's a drag on your return. Also, if you decide that you want to make any changes in your investments and sell it and buy something else with it, well, if it increased in value, if you bought it for $100 and you sold it for $110, well, you have a capital gain 
that you have to pay on that, which for most people is 15%. So uh, if you're doing that throughout now in retirement, a lot of your money that you would have in returns would be going towards taxes. That's called tax drag. Well, on it, if you shelter your money from taxes, you shelter it from the tax drag, and that compound interest is working on your money. The money that you would have been paying taxes on is actually gaining money, and it's compounding for you. So it's a, it's a very, very good benefit. But you are still betting that your taxes are hopefully at, at a minimum going to be the same for you later if you're sheltering them from taxes now. If your taxes go up significantly, that could actually be the wrong decision. Because I sheltered them from paying taxes right now, and later on, when I pulled the money out to pay taxes on them then, taxes were higher. What's the answer? The Roth contribution would be the answer for that. So a Roth contribution would be something that you would do where you put it in, and it grows tax-free. The catch is you put it in on an after-tax basis. So I pay taxes on it first, it goes into my 401, but it grows and I never pay taxes on it again as long as I use it for a qualified distribution in retirement, which just means as long as I use it when I'm actually retirement age, 59 and a half. So what you're doing is paying taxes on it now and sheltering it from taxes in the future. That's the rationale behind the Roth. Which is better, well, we'll know later. <laughs> we don't know now. So that's the difficulty to know. Your employer money is always going to go in on a pre-tax basis. So sometimes if you have the choice to save on a Roth basis in your employer plan, it's nice to go ahead and do so, so you can kind of hedge your bets a little bit. It's diversification, tax diversification, not investment diversification. So, you know, you don't do what I do, and this is an investment advice. I don't know the answer, but I save on my 401k, I save it a Roth because my employer puts all the money in on pre-tax, so I want a mix of both. Does that make sense? Okay, so can we go back to, does anybody have any questions on that? So yes, sir. You do, the, you do the Roth above the match that you put in to match your employer? You know, my employer lets me, they match my Roth contributions. Okay, oh, okay. I see. Yeah. I see. So I just put all my contributions in 100% Roth. Now all their money goes in pre-tax. Yeah, they don't pay taxes on it first and still give it to me. They don't do that. Uh, but all theirs goes in pre-tax. But that's what I mean by the tax diversification, because I know my employer money is all going to be taxed later, so I want to I want to have some after-tax money. Will all the employers offer the Roth with their? No, sir. It's a good. It's getting more popular, though. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But but it, it it you're right. It's getting more popular. It's a good question. Your employer might not have a Roth option. Okay. So if they don't. And, like, you could still go get a Roth IRA from It's a great point. Yeah. I was going to go there, but I was like, I don't want to drag this out, but you're right. So if, as long as you're eligible to contribute to a Roth, what you technically could do is max your, always max your free money out because you're not going to beat that. So max out your, your employer um, uh, match, and then you could open up a Roth IRA, and as long as you're not above 180000 income level, I think, for a married couple, then you can save in the Roth, which will be $6,000 is what you're allowed to put in. If you're under 50, if you're over 50, you're allowed to put in 7000 into the Roth. So max out the employer plan first. If you want to save Roth, open up a Roth IRA and put it in.
um, <clears throat> what's the best way to invest outside of 401k? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's not a whole lot of options there. I mean, uh, most places are either are going to offer <clears throat> brokerage accounts. Um, you can invest directly in mutual funds. They'll hold mutual funds directly, or you can have it in a brokerage account where you buy mutual funds. Or you can use um, annuities, which we're going to get to what an annuity is later at the end of the sheet. Um, somebody asked what an annuity is. Um, but, you know, for the most part, there's not a whole lot, you know. I mean, or you could, or you could flip it around and say there's a ton of things. You could say, look, you can invest in real estate. You can invest in all these other things. But just in general, like most investment companies that you go to, like a Fidelity or a Vanguard or, you know, any companies like that, they're, they're going to have a brokerage account or you invest directly in mutual funds um, or you use a brokerage account and you can buy individual stocks, you can buy bonds, you can buy ETFs, or you can buy mutual funds within the brokerage account. That's what most people use. Big, big thing that you know is in an after-tax account, capital gains, so investment growth is taxed at 15%. Dividends or dividend income from bonds, like a bond pays interest income, or even CDs, you could perhaps invest in a bank. If, you're, if your period of time is really short, it's not the best for retirement savings. If you're a long ways away, you want to take advantage of time and growth. But short-term, if you know you're, you're investing something for a year out, you might use a CD in a bank and a CD is going to be a shorter term period but the growth or the interest on the CD is all taxable as ordinary income. Is the ETF like exchange trade? Yes, yeah. that's correct. So exchange traded fund is just like a, a mutual fund that trades like a stock is all an ETF is. Sorry, I should I should yeah, say. Thank you for clarifying. What about those companies like you see on the apps, like Acorns Capital, mm -hmm. like on your phone that like invest your spare change? Yeah, right? yeah, I I like it. I mean, I yes, you know that that anything that the question you know whatever the companies are that you use, I need you know I'm I'm not here to promote. I'm trying to be very cautious about saying anything's good or bad. Um, I'm trying to be agnostic uh, in terms of of just you know, so no, no, I don't have a problem. However you save, if you're young and you save, and I have a gnat, um, <laughs> if, if, if you're young and you save, great. And those things, are any, any tools like that, it's great. You just want to always want to know what the fees are. And we'll talk about fees in a moment because I think everybody should talk about that. But, yeah, you just want to know what the fees are. Yeah. I think it's a great, a great option. Um, are there any investments we should stay away from that aren't legit? Like... Yeah. Selling me a swamp Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I mean, it's it's hard to say this. You know, I, this is this is the fee dis discussion. So the one thing that you want to you want to do, you want to make sure that you're not paying an enormous amount of fees for whatever it is that you're investing in. Um, when you go to, and most of you are probably going to go to either the company that maybe does your 401k or you'll go to some local commission broker in town or maybe you'll go to some investment advisor maybe you'll go online maybe this acorn type deal I'm not sure how, how all those things function but they, they might be an investment advisor where they take and invest your money for you you, you delegate to them you want to understand fees 
for everything that you do. So, number one, the, one of the best ways to get good advice is you can go to a fee-only financial planner where they have zero conflicts of interest because you are paying them money for their time. That's what a fee-only financial planner is. They don't sell you a product. You give them a set of money, and they say, this is what I think you should do, and I, you go do it with this company that doesn't benefit me at all. That's nice because there's no conflict of interest. Doesn't mean that if there's a conflict of interest with the broker that you work with, that it means that they give you bad advice. It just means that it's nice to know that there isn't a conflict of interest. The second way that you can do it is you can go to like a commissioned broker, um, which is you know some sort of, uh, I don't even want to use a company name, but they, they will make money um, by the products that they sell you. So they sell you a mutual fund, and that mutual fund will have some sort of sales load or sales commission that you pay that goes to the broker and pays that broker for their advice. They also might sell you an annuity or something like that that has a commission packaged into the annuity that pays them. So this is fine. These people, are if they're giving you good advice, they need to make money somewhere. There's nothing wrong with it. You just want to know how much. And you want to know what the conflicts of interest are uh, for that advice. Um, there are discount brokerage firms that you can call. Most of your retirement plans are probably held by discount brokerage firms, if at all. They'll, they'll, have, they'll give investment advice more. They make money in other ways. Uh, and they're large enough to where they don't have to have a commissioned broker that takes a lot of your money before you invest with them. But they'll, you can get advice or help through companies, through discount brokerage firms. And then finally, there are investment advisors that you pay a fee to them, and they, like 1% of your account value or some amount, and, um, you know, they invest your money for you. So that's kind of the, the experiences you're going to have with most investment firms. Uh, in terms of what is a low fee, go research it. Uh, I'm not going to tell you because if anybody in here sells annuities or uh, charges a fee and they tell me, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So just go invest it or, or, or investigate it yourself and look up um, the companies. But that's the way that they uh, charge. So for the most part, though, if you're going to a, a decent investment uh, broker company, uh, they're going to probably just have some sort of diversified model um, that, they, that they diversify your money on. Um, understand what you invest in um, and try not to invest in companies that aren't very well known. Like none of us knew about Bernie Madoff because he wasn't a large company that all of us knew of. He was just a, a local guy that was investing with, that was in investing circles was very well known and he had his own little shop. But really, really big companies, sometimes there's safety in the size of those companies because there's more oversight and regulatory oversight, more eyes on it. So, okay. Speaking of diversity, how much should you diversify? Yeah. So, what is a diversified portfolio? It's kind of, you know, for the most part, this is where I'm, I'm a fan of mutual funds. Just personally, they're easy. For the average investor, they take a lot of the edge off 
of, of making this difficult, make it relatively easy. But usually you want to have like large caps, mid caps, small caps. You want to have international. Your bonds, you want to have value and growth stocks. Your bonds, you want to have short duration, long duration, which is how long before your, your bond matures. You want to have junk bonds or high yield bonds. You want to have higher quality corporate government bonds. There's all sorts of, of pieces that you really need in a diversified portfolio. A lot of mutual funds will give all of that to you in a package and even your $100 buys a tiny piece of all of that, but that piece that you own owns all that stuff. That's the advantage to mutual funds is you're investing with a lot of other people and they're all in the same pool as you, whatever it is you're trying to do, they're in the same, they want they have the same goal, the investment advisor takes your little piece and gives you a share of that whole thing and then it's all spread out. So I, I like that type of approach for diversification, uh, something easy. And by the way, it's what most of your retirement plans do because it works. And that also kind of solves for that last question. If you're doing things like that, you don't have to worry about it. If you own a little bit of everything, um, you, you don't have to worry about uh, Enron going under and you losing your shirt. Anybody have any questions or comments on that? Okay. Early on time. Okay. How do you catch up on a 403B if you start late? Yeah. Um, so you can't just put as much money as you want to into retirement plans. There's limits. So the most they will allow you to invest in your 401k, your 403B, your 457, whatever that uh, account type is, the most they allow you to contribute is $18,000 in a calendar year, unless you're over 50. If you're over 50, they allow for something called an age 50 catch-up um, that gives you an extra six grand that you're allowed to put in. So uh, 19,000 is what, um, I'm, I'm, yeah, 19,000. I'm sorry, 19,000 is what you and I are allowed to put in if you're over 50. Um, you're allowed to put in 25 total for the year. There's other rules too for quirky catch-ups, but most plans don't use them, so I don't want to get into that. It's more cause more confusion. Most all of them abide by the age 50 catch-up rule. There's like a lifetime catch-up if anybody really is that interested in finding out even more if you're old and you're trying to stock away more than 25. There is a lifetime catch-up for four or threes, but most of the plans don't even use it. So sorry, I didn't. Next question there. Um, how important is your rise or retirement income security score? Yeah. So this is another question. It's kind of like your um, stock question. Um, I'm sorry. What um, the triple uh, or the what was your? Oh, oh Gretchen. Gretchen. <laughs> I yeah. I was asking about forex trading. Forex trading. I almost said triple X. Oh. <laughs> Not the right type of trading. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> it's embarrassing. Um, so, it's kind of the same thing. I've not heard of Rise. I saw the question. It, 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 I think it's some sort of financial planning score. Basically, when you get to retirement, you, you don't want to outspend your money. And you want to make sure that you have enough assets to support what you're trying to do. 
what I think they're doing on the rise score, it might be like an annuity sales tool that is used by annuity companies to sell guaranteed income. Um, is kind of what I think that is, but I don't know exactly what the rise is, but I can also elaborate on what you need to be prepared for in retirement. The key risks that you face in retirement, which I think is what this question is really getting at, um, you want to you wanna address longevity. So a lot of people think that they retire and, okay, now I'm, I'm pulling my money out and go put it all in the bank because uh, I'm going to start living <laughs> on it. No, like you have as long, if you retire at 65 to 67, you, you have probably as long to live on that money as you have been saving, potentially. So you might live on it for 30 years. In fact, if you're married and 65, one of you has a one in four chance of making it to 94. In other words, if you both made it to 65, you're still alive, and you're married, one of you has a one in four chance of making it to 94. So, you know, longevity is a real risk in retirement. So that's one of your key risks. What did we talk about last week was uh, uh, why do you need to invest? You may remember one of the, the very first reason I said why you need to invest? Why wouldn't you just let your, put your money under a mattress? Why wouldn't you do that? Inflation. That's right. Inflation. That's right, yeah. In, inflation. So inflation is a key risk in retirement. If we have a decade like the 70s, and a lot of you folks lived through the 70s, I didn't, I studied it in a textbook, you remember the inflation rates in the 70s. Uh, they were nasty. And in, if you started the decade with money, you ended the decade with money that was a lot less valuable. That's a risk that you face in retirement. So you want to have investments that will keep pace with inflation. So in, inflation is a key risk that you have in retirement. Healthcare costs, the average couple will spend about 300 grand on healthcare costs throughout retirement, $300,000. Some of that you might not pay for, somebody else might pay those expenses, but that's the, that's the healthcare costs of the average couple that uh, retire, 300 grand. So healthcare is a really, really expensive uh, part potentially of retirement. Um, the other thing that you face is what, what they call sequence of returns risk. The markets average a certain amount over time, but it's not a straight line. So what happens if I have the worst returns of my retirement right at the beginning of my retirement versus having those same returns at the end and having my best returns at the beginning? If I have my best returns at the end, my worst returns in the beginning, isn't there a risk that I spend all my money while the money's down and I never make it to my, that's called sequence of returns. So the fact is you want to be careful that your, your allocation is appropriate to fight all different types of risk in your portfolio, so it's proper asset allocation. You want to make sure that you're keeping your head on straight in up and down markets as well. So that's another risk. And then, and then finally, what's the proper withdrawal rate for my money? So how much should I safely spend from an investable portfolio um, that will, will uh, not run the risk of, of running out? So those are your five key risks in retirement. 
And financial planners are worried about those things. Most of them do Monte Carlo analysis. They'll look at what your income needs are. They'll look at how much you're going to get in Social Security. If you have a pension plan or an old-fashioned defined benefit plan, what that is. If you have annuity income, they'll add that onto it. And they want to make sure, most financial planners want to make sure that your, your needs, what you have to have to live, are covered by guaranteed sources of income. That's probably the, what the gist of what they're getting out on the RISE score. And then above and beyond that, you know, if you run out or if you have fluctuations that your wants are covered with variable investable assets. But it's never, there's not a sweet science to this. It, it's, it's more of an art than science once you're actually in retirement. Everybody does different things. How are we on time? Good? Okay. What is an annuity? All right. This is a loaded term. An annuity is a lot of things. An annuity, in essence, um, what most people refer to as an annuity is just a guaranteed source of income that's going to pay you for a period of time. So Social Security is an annuity. It's a guaranteed payment that pays you out. Now, what most people think of when they hear the term annuity is, is the investable piece, which is also an annuity. So this is a, this is a complicated question to answer because there are so many different answers for it. Um, but for the most part, annuities are these investment vehicles that you can put after-tax money in that allow your money to grow tax-deferred like a 401k almost. So I put in $5,000. I don't get a tax benefit on that $5,000, but my money will grow tax deferred. That means my growth, my dividends and my income, or my income I should say, and my capital gains, they're deferred until later when I take the money out. So if I put in 5,000, it grows into 10,000. I take the money out later. I owe $5,000 of ordinary income tax on my growth. The 5,000 that I originally invested is not taxed because I already paid the taxes on that. But the 5,000 in growth is taxed. So what's the benefit of the annuity? The benefit is you get tax deferral. Now you cannot pull money out from an annuity. It's designed to be another form of retirement savings. You cannot pull the money out from the annuity until you're 59 and a half. If you do, you'll pay the same 10% early withdrawal penalty on the growth that you would pay for on an employer plan. Also, technically, if you have a guaranteed rate of return from an insurance company on a certain portion of money, that's technically an annuity. So if you put in $100 into MetLife and they say, we'll give you a 3% rate of return on this account, that's an insurance wrapper that they're putting. Technically, that's an annuity. But I think the question is really about what I just described, which is the additional savings account. And the, to be honest with you, there are more annuities than even I mentioned. Um, there, there's just a lot. It's a loaded. But that's most people will, will um, uh, be getting at that point right there. So a couple of things for you to know about annuities. They pay commission brokers a lot of money. So most commission brokers that you go to, 
will immediately tell you you need to save an annuity. This is where your, your spider sense should be flashing and you should be wondering about you know, what their, what their um, maybe perhaps their conflict of interest could be. I'm not saying it's not appropriate. I'm just saying you need to be asking questions about why that's the right solution for you. Um, especially if they're asking you to roll over your whole 401k that you saved from maybe perhaps a low-cost uh, you know, provider into it um, to where it might potentially lock your money up. Many annuities have a surrender penalty if you try to pull the money out from that annuity company earlier. And many of them have all of these riders packaged into them that are very expensive. And they'll have all these things that they say to you why you should buy it and if you don't understand it don't buy it is that clear if you don't understand it don't buy it shouldn't be that complicated um, and the questions you want to ask are, you know what are the fees how are you paid from this do you benefit from it you want to know those things not because it's bad not be, that somebody getting paid is not bad but you want to know what why they're recommending it and what they get from it. But that's, that's kind of a short answer on annuities. It's actually a long answer on annuities, sorry. <laughs> um, does anybody have questions on that? I have other questions, but not on annuities. Do you have more questions? Just one more. Spell red. <laughs> that was for the R-E-D. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was wanting an easy one. Another oh, one. Yeah. an easy one? Well, when investing, are mutual funds taxed when you withdraw from them, or are only certain mutual funds taxed? Um, this is not, was not on the list. Um, which is not bad, but it, but it is, um, it's quirky. So again, when you hold a mutual fund in a retirement plan, remember that's not taxed until you take it out. Um, there, there are mutual funds that are built with more taxes, tax advantages in them. So if you hold a mutual fund, just a standard account. It's not an annuity and it's not in a a qualified retirement plan. It's just in a regular brokerage account or you just hold it directly with that company. Yes, it's taxed. It's taxed at 15% for the capital gains if you sell it and the dividends that are paid out are also taxed. It also, because remember, even if you don't sell any portion for you, remember that you own something that is being managed and there are buys and sells that are happening within the mutual fund. So remember, you're departed, you're putting in your share, but you own a piece of it. But that actually has a mutual fund manager that's that's in that account buying Apple, selling this stock, selling that stock, buying this stock with it. And all of those have either short-term or long-term capital gains as a, as a result of it. And at the end of the year, you will get a document that tells you you owe these capital gains, both short-term and long-term, and this is the dividends that were paid out. Um, so that is, so yes, mutual funds are taxable. It depends on where you hold them, but for the most part, I think the, the root is, is that. 
There are mutual funds that are designed to be more tax efficient. So they have less cells in them. Index funds are, by nature, an index is just a, a fund that buys a basket of stocks and holds them for you. So there's not a lot of trading going on. Since there aren't a lot of buys and sells within that fund, that is tax efficient because they're not, there isn't a lot of trading that's generating a lot of capital gains within the index fund. Um, also, there are mutual funds that might hold municipal bond funds or bonds in them rather than uh, general or regular bonds. So a municipal bond pays you income tax-free. So you get it. Um, federal taxes are not charged to you for a municipal bond. So if you own a municipal bond fund, you don't get that <coughs> generated as taxable income because of the, the income on the municipal bond is tax-free. And if it's in the state that you're in, the state taxes are tax-free. So if it's an Ohio municipal bond, you don't pay the Ohio taxes and you don't pay federal income taxes. So that mutual fund technically is tax-free. But I hope that answers. It's nuanced, but that's, that's kind of the way it works. All right. I'm sure Sister Bounds has a really easy question for me. I do. Oh. <laughs> I do. Well, I was just thinking, there's a lot of high school, like, juniors and seniors in here, and I'm sure a lot of the terms are, like, they're probably yes. feeling lost and a little, like, overwhelmed. I was wondering if you could maybe give them advice on, okay, I work at the mall and or I work here, I make minimum wage or I make $10 an hour. Where in the world do I start? Mm -hmm. I'm overwhelmed. What's my next step? I'm only 18. Where do I go from here? Who do I see? What do I do? You know, just kind of a basic for them. Yes. They may, some not even no parental guidance for any of this. What could you tell them? Yeah. So I think taxes in our country are going to go up. I don't, I think they're going to go up before they go down. So I'm a fan, if you're, if you're 40 years away from retirement, of saving in a Roth IRA. So if you have any income whatsoever, you are allowed to save in a Roth. And again, there, you know, if you go and for, and so if you go to a Vanguard or a Fidelity and you open a Roth IRA, you can put your money into it and they'll have a mutual fund and they'll help you with it. And you can just move 50 bucks over from your bank account over to it. They'll set up to where it electronically moves and funnels over. And I'm telling you, anything you can funnel into that thing um, to save for retirement, if you save in your 20s, it is incredible. Like, you, you can save so much to where you get to your 30s, and you're like, I don't have to save another dime because my money will just grow because you have time on your side. Right, because you I, I think even in the area, just, you know, I hear a lot of them say, well, you know, I, I opened a savings account. Yeah. And I'm trying to put a little bit of money in there. And yeah. they are, and they're doing all they know to do. But they could be doing so much more with the same amount of money. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. <clears throat> the, the disadvantage is if you, get, if you get to the point to where you want to get your hands on the Roth money, again, it's, a, it's designed to be saved for retirement. Um, but, yes, you could save, you could save in, in, in a, a Roth. And, I, again, so the company I work for, I just – I have it just, which is just the same as like a Fidelity or a Vanguard type company. Um, I just have my account set up, my bank account set up, and I can tell it to pull money from my bank account, and it just goes boop, 
and comes over into my account and then I can take it and I can invest it and if you don't know how those companies will tell you how and they'll make it easy they'll just say this is what to put it into and they're what they call discount brokerage firms which means they're not going to charge you a commission to use one of their mutual funds there you get it direct so it's cheap which is what you want that's what I would do if I was in my 20s is if you don't have a yes sir um, somebody may have already brought this up but they teach the financial piece here yeah and uh, Dave Ramsey talks about an ELP an endorsed local provider not you know something yeah. that will actually teach you yes how to invest sure you recommend them for you know like yeah I mean I again I don't it doesn't matter to me as much where you land you know with whatever company again like every com people are people there's good com good people and bad people at every company I don't know who the local provider is I, right. you know if I knew who it was I could say yeah it looks like he's given he or she's giving good advice or he or she isn't giving good advice I but I don't know the answer to that question I, I think I think what he's getting at the spirit of it's important but I, I you know um, because he says not any, not all of them will teach you, but in order for them to be endorsed by him, they have to be able to teach you and show you how to invest, yeah. not just, you know. Yeah. Yeah, a good, so that's Dave Ramsey's line, a good financial advisor is a teacher. Um, and, I, and I think that's fair. So, yeah, I, I'm fine with that. So does he have, in other words, does Dave Ramsey have a list in Zanesville of guys he... I don't know, they, they teach the class here, so I imagine they would probably have that, I'm guessing. The closest one that's listed on his site is in Columbus. There's nobody, the last time I checked, there was no one in Zanesville that met all of his criteria to be yeah. um, an endorsed local provider. So I like Dave Ramsey, so I would, I would personally feel comfortable, you know, looking. And, and, and by the way... What I'm guessing is going to happen is they're going to teach you, and then it's going to, you're going to be able to set this up in some automated way for it to be easy. But what's, what I think they're going to teach you is you just throw the money in a mutual fund. That's what I think it's going to land on. So, which is, again, kind of the same thing I was saying, which is just get a, get a Fidelity or a Vanguard, a cheap low. You just want to find a cheap provider. You don't want to go pay sales commissions. If you have a commissioned fund, this is a good example, if you put $10 into a commission or $100 into a commission fund and they have a 5% fee, then only $95 goes in. Well, that's fine if it's your only option. But a discount mutual fund place, which is what Dave Ramsey will probably in the end recommend, is going to let you put all $100 in. So you're going to get to put 100% of it in, um, which is, which is um, probably where he ends up landing with the one in Columbus. So... Yeah, I would I would recommend looking somewhere. Dave Ramsey's safer. That's what that's what I can say certainly. Yeah. I got a question. I mean, I yes. A question, comment. Yes. But I mean, I, I like Dave Ramsey. Everything in the concept. Sure. But at lot on one part, he talks about investing. You'll get twelve to fourteen percent. Yeah, it's that's uh, fair. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it's, you're not going to. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, I I, I think it's a little off there. I mean, yeah, you might be lucky if you're hitting shooting at the moon. Yeah. Here and there. But I don't care who to broke, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't think a good finance. 
You could. I mean, there'll be years you'll get 20, 24, 25. Yeah, I don't think you, you should. be negative 10. You shouldn't project 12 to 14%. I think he's 10, right? I thought he says Maybe 10 to 12. 10. Well, I was, think he says well, 10 to 12. I took it, it was like 12 to 14. Yeah. Or, you know, but it, it probably, yeah, 10 as well. I think 8 to 10 is a reasonable range that you should be looking at on a long-term aggressive portfolio. You're going to be looking at closer to 8 to 10. So if you're doing your projections and your financial ca calculator, that should be your range you're looking for. I agree with that. All right, so we're, we're two past. Are we at? He's done start preaching, so you're fine. Oh, yeah. So so I have an employer match. So instead of, you know, should I put, like, like you said with uh, the Roth IRAs, open up another account, should I do, like, $25 or so to that Roth IRA and then not put so much to my employer my 401k, or should I just like invest as much as I can into my 401k and not? Yeah, it's a good question. So he's asking. The question is: Is should I put more into the Roth, or, or should I should I make this difficult for the sake of the Roth? Yeah. There is an argument for easy. People, if you do things that are too difficult and you're not going to do them in the end, then it's better just for it to be easy. So if it's easier for you to increase your, how much you go in every time you get a raise, go in and just increase how much your percentage is withholding to the 401k. If it's easy, there's a fine argument to be made for that. Um, I, I won't, I won't, you know. Again, this is not. This is a lot of times more art than science. Uh, there's a behavioral aspect to all of us. There's behavioral finance. So we all behave differently, and we have to know ourselves and know how we behave. Um, it's the same with dieting. It's a similar similar phenomenon. Money and dieting are, are similar. So um, yeah. So I'm. But again, I like I like folks having some Roth money that are younger because I think tax rates are going to go up. Right now, tax rates are are very very low. In five years, I know they're going to be up because it's, the rules the current rules are going to sunset in five years in 2025. And they could go up even higher if the you know the government uh, decides they want to take more. So that I'm a fan of Roth. But please don't be political. I, it was not designed to say taxes <laughs> or, but you know what I mean. Like like it, it, they they could go up quickly, and if you shelter them from taxes now, that helps. But in the 401, he should still put what they would match. Always what they match. That's a no-brainer. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, the company I work for offers employee stock purchase plan. Um, hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I don't really know a lot about. It. Yeah. So ESOPs are are what, what employee stock option plan. So they call them ESOPs, and for the most part, they'll give their employees discounted shares. So I'm usually not a fan of owning a lot of individual stocks, you know, that's where you lack some diversification. That's where mutual funds will, will kind of spread your risk out. But in the case of an employer giving you cheaper shares, it's kind of almost like them giving you money, um, especially for at current prices. Um, they do it for a couple reasons. They do it because they want you to continue to, to be vested in the interest of the company. They, they want you to actually care about how the company does. Um, and yeah, they're usually a good benefit. So if they're going to give you some, you know, take them. 
a lot of times when you get a chance to diversify out later, I'm kind of a fan of doing that just because anything can happen with an individual stock. Nobody thought Kmart would ever be obsolete and Walmart came along. So, you know, it's there's always somebody out trying to get you. So that's why I'm a fan of just holding a lot of companies rather than one. Yeah, but I would I would I would consider that benefit, especially if they're giving it to you at a lucrative price. Can we just like sit here sometime, like have another class and just get a big computer screen and the companies that we need to invest in? <laughs> 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 That would be fun. <laughs> we just throw a dart and just, I want that one. Some people do that. <laughs> yes. Um, for investing, do you have any advice to what you invest in to be biblically responsible? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so... You know, should we should we socially should we be socially responsible? That's that's the the catchphrase now and now. Socially responsible investing is different than biblically responsible. It's the same concept. Um, when you invest um, in companies, you're you're especially if you're in a mutual fund, you're probably going to be investing in companies that perhaps do things that you don't necessarily agree with. Um, I I. Uh, personally, um, uh, I don't want to say I, 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 uh, I think it's very difficult to remove ourselves from the world that we live in. Now, actually, I, I'm going to punt that question because I don't want to even give my personal beliefs on it. But, I, but let me just give the answer of, because this is a person, probably a personal conviction thing or a pastoral answer if he has a different answer. So I'd rather, I'd rather punt that. But I do. There are um, biblical-based investment options. I've never researched them and studied the fees, um, but they—they they, I'm certain avoid the sin, uh, the sin companies um, who who they think probably aren't benefiting the world. And I certainly think it's an it's an interesting concept. It's something that we need to think about and. But I don't feel comfortable giving my personal conviction on it. I shouldn't. But I think it's a great question. When people are wanting to invest, they need to be aware that, hey, I might be giving money to a company that's going to turn around and use my money to afford abortions. That's right. You know, so I think that instead of just trying to make gains, that's right. Be a little bit wise about what you're getting into. I, I think you're I think you're spot on. Yeah. So in answer to her question, like how do you Well, if you're an individual, if you're an individual stock investor, it's going to be a lot easier for you. The, 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 where this gets dicey is in mutual funds, and that's why you need to buy mutual funds that are already have the preconceived, like there there will be Bible-based type mutual funds that have all the parameters set, and the mutual fund manager has to avoid whatever companies that the mutual fund owners say, we don't want you to do that. So they have an investment policy statement that says, this is what you're allowed to invest in, this is what you're not allowed to invest in. So that would be the short answer for mutual funds. A mutual fund manager can make any changes that doesn't have any parameters, like, like it might say this is a large cap mutual fund, means it's gonna buy big companies, 
or this is an international fund that will buy international companies. But if it doesn't have parameters, then you don't have any control over it. Um, to answer the question on that, yeah, you, if you buy your own stocks, it's easy. You know, you can just research the company and say, yeah, I like this company and what they stand for, or I don't. Um, that's a rabbit hole that will, we can all take ourselves a long ways um, in a lot of directions if we start to say, okay, so where are we spending our money? And so, it, it, you know, it, it can it can very much consume a lot. What were you going to say? Um, for a while, I was, in, I was using an app, and I don't remember the name of it right now, um, to invest money. And it... It gave it gave different often options like it was like USA, um, but there was a Christian one hmm. or a biblical based one within that. But it was just a group. I mean, you couldn't separate separate out the companies. It was within that group. Yeah. But it kind of gave you um, something to to you know shoot for or whatever. Yes. But I don't remember the name of that. I think this is going to get more and more popular as our country becomes more and more divided. I think companies used to stay pretty apolitical, and it's really gotten a lot more um, divided in the last decade. So I think this is probably be going to become more and more popular. And as it becomes more and more popular, there'll be options for Christians. It's tricky because, like, even with mutual funds, you own so little. Yeah. I mean, it's so little of any company. It's probably less than the amount that it costs for an airline ticket, but the airline's owned by the company that supports. So yeah. it gets really it's, it's confusing. Tough. It's, yeah. you know, it's hard. Yeah. I, I would say if you feel like you have a strong personal conviction about that, I would follow your, your personal conviction and and, you know, go after it. But I, I really think it's a, I really like that question, and I do think it's important to, to consider. You are, when you own a stock, you own the company. What other questions? Everybody's starting to get that fried look on their face. Like. <laughs> I got a pretty easy one. Yeah. Uh, at 18, would you suggest, like, investing in the stock market maybe not like ten thousand dollars but maybe a little bit here and there I, I i would yes absolutely and you just have so again time is on your side so how do they go about doing that say if he's 18 he wants to invest in a stock or something how would he go about who would he see or who how would he go about doing that so I want to. I, there's an answer I want to give. Does anybody here and does anybody in this room like work in finance? Well, not no. Mortgages and banks, but not all right. No, okay. Advisors. I like Vanguard. I, I Vanguard's cheap. They're a not-for-profit company, and you know whatever answer they give is going to be relatively safe. So when my friends ask me, um, I don't. I don't work with anybody. I, I work with people and that's I go work for my company and do the thing for them I don't work with any friends if my friends ask me questions I give them uh, uh, high-level financial advice and then I say this is where you should go do it mm -hmm. and when I do I say Vanguard 
just because I know they're safe. When they call Vanguard, there's not, they're not going to meet with the person. There, there is no local person. It's so for, for younger people, it's, it's a lot, you know, they, they don't have a problem with it because they're used to working on automated. They're used to setting stuff up. It's, it's easy. And I know that you're not going to get feed to death because one of the worst things that will drag your investment returns are fees. And they'll help you get diversified, and they'll do it at a real low cost. So open a Roth IRA with Vanguard is what was what I wanted to say earlier, but now I don't want to say it. They're just cheap and easy. That's what I tell my friends to do when they ask me. I'm not here giving investment advice. I don't represent my company right now. I'm talking to you like I'm talking to friends. Um, if you're just looking for an easy place, Fidelity is also a good company. They're easy. They're not as cheap as Vanguard, but I would I would probably use Vanguard because they're not for profit. Yes. Yeah. Because of my mind, and I didn't understand all this yet. So now I'm just comprehending all this. But for my own kids, or maybe even my yeah. grandkids, can a parent open up? I mean, because I have a daughter past 18, my son's almost 18, but they don't, I know they're not ready yet, but I want to prepare them. So can a parent open up something and kind of invest for them, in, you know, until they're ready and then give it to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, one's working, one's still in school, but I just. I'm yeah. the one who's starting to comprehend all this right yes. now, only not Mike. <laughs> yeah, well, good on you. Um, you can open what is called a UGMA account. Once they turn 18, it's theirs. Okay. So if you don't, like, I, like I'll just tell you, when I, open, I didn't open a UGMA because I'm controlling the money until, right. until she. <laughs> right. So I'll pay the taxes on it. I'll deal with some of that stuff. But. Um, UGMA means that there's a little bit of tax benefits, not great, not, you know, it's not enormous, but that's how you can put money in and save for a child. It's Uniform Gifts, Uniform Gift to Minors Act is what it's called, but it, that's what allows for, for you to be able to save in that type of account. Um, but myself, I, I just save in a regular brokerage account and invest it for, and then she'll you know, later, whatever we decide to use it for, you know, but in the meantime, I pay taxes on the dividends, any capital gains, I'm going to pay them. So it's just basically like I'm saving it. It's my own money or my wife and I's own money, but we're, we just have it set aside at your mark for, for our daughter. It's not in her name or anything. No, that's right. If it would be in her name, it would be in that UGMA account. And again, when she turns 18, if she decides she wants to take it and do whatever she wants with it, she has that choice. Because you couldn't have a Roth unless you have the earned income to show that she needs earned income. Right. You gotta, you know, just say I want to put money in my child's or a child's Roth. If they don't have yeah. earned income, you cannot do that. Right. Correct. Yeah. So they have if they have earned income or they're you know they're they're working for and you want to save for their retirement. But again, the Roth is a retirement account. But if you're just say if you're just saving for you know hey I want you to have money for a car later, then that's different. But um, you know, if you want to save for the retirement, if they have any earned income at all, you can put it into the, you can save it for them. It's theirs. So they have, technically it's their account. Good question.
You have another question? You look like you want to say something. Me? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> Go <do>. ahead. <laughs> and call me Joe Simple or whatever. No. I'm just still kind of foggy about, and, and, I, and I've known it, but I've probably forgot it. But Joe Young person wants to go into the bank. Uh, you said the Vanguard, they do the Ross. They go through the bank, right? No, some of them all sell Ross, but no, you'd be better off to get online, call their corporate. I mean, that's kind of what I said. Some while ago, say if Sean wants to say he wants to open a Vanguard account, where's he going? How's he do that? Just he can do it online in like five minutes. Just online, he can do it online in like five minutes. He can link it to his bank account. I mean, they might sometimes they have to check and see if you're an actual citizen, like they'll like. Those regulatory things that stop this from happening as fast as it used to sometimes, so they might have some questions, but they'll ask some verification questions. So he doesn't go to a bank or anything to do that? No, they'll put you with a financial advisor at their bank if you go to a bank. You And then they'll you can just go online and try to get you. So you can say about taking it out of your checking and putting it. So you're saying first that you have to go through Vanguard and then they set it up? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying you have to do it through. I was just saying that's just a good place. Yeah. yeah, that's an easy. So, so you would go, so you, so you would open an account. It takes you like 10 minutes to do it online. It would also ask you where do you want to get this money to fund it. And you'll say, well, I'm going to fund it from my bank. And it will, okay. it will link. Yeah, it will link the bank account. <coughs> yeah, that answers the question. It will do an electronic funds transfer where it will be over in the account in like two to three days. And then at the end of the year, you'll get a tax document that says you put this much money into your Roth IRA. And when you fill out your taxes, you just want to report to the IRS that you put in that much money in your Roth IRA. If you want to save for a different purpose, like maybe you're saving for, I don't know, like a car in a couple of years or anything like that, you just save in a brokerage account, also available. So you can have, like you'll log on to your Vanguard account, you have a brokerage account, a Roth IRA, and they'll both have balances in them or whatever. And you could just have your bank talking to both of them back and forth. It's very, very easy. I'm glad you're getting in the nitty-gritty on this because it's, it's not, it's intimidating when you hear it. It takes like 10 minutes. And you literally, you can walk out these doors. If you have a bank account set up with money in it, you can walk out these doors and probably have money in a brokerage account invested in a mutual fund by Friday. So it's not difficult. So it's, I'm, I'm glad you guys are digging in on this. It's a good point. Just to your whole, you want, there's plenty of information online about all these companies. And the more you learn, when you read, the better you're going to be. <coughs> you know about. Them. I mean, for the yeah, for the most part, you just pick like a mutual fund that's already got you. Like you just say, I, I want an aggressive allocation fund. Like they have blended mutual funds that do everything for you, that operate almost exactly the same way a, a managed account works. And you just pick it the allocation that you're comfortable with. So you're young and you're aggressive. You know. Uh, this is saved for 40 years down the road, then by aggressive, it just means that it's going to have a higher ratio to stocks, which just means it's going to move up and down more. That's fine. You're invested and diversified. Now, the young lady back there who brought up the, you are going to be invested in the whole market by using a company like Vanguard. So that, that you know, is, is uh, worth considering. But you're going to be diversified, and it's going to be, if you lose, you're losing because the whole market's losing. And if you say, well, can, I, can it go down to zero? Yeah. If, if, you're, if the entire United States market goes down to, to zero, what are you going to do with your money? Are you going to eat it? It's not going to be good. 
It's not so every United States company goes down. Um, food and guns are going to be the thing everybody wants, and I mean that. That's probably going to be what happened that caused that. The question you have to ask is what happened that caused that. Probably some war is what's caused that. I, so I never tell people it's impossible for your money to go down to zero if you invest in, a, you know, the whole world market. No, it's not impossible, but. It's not also the money you stuffed under your mattress is also not going to be worth anything either. Right. So the mason jars in the backyard should be dug up. <laughs> Unless they have food in them. Gold and silver. Just say your gold and silver. Silver bowls. Yeah, I mean, even gold, you're not going to be able to eat it. What? I have a question. Yes. Should we invest sure in ra ramen? It was asked previously because I got here a little late, but is it wise to borrow money to invest money? The short answer, so uh, Brother, Brother Tackett says no, and, and I, would, I would agree with that. I would concur. Um, so the way that people get rich off of real estate is they leverage money. That's how. That's what's what makes real estate so lucrative. Is a lot of times they can borrow money, buy an apartment complex, and then they're leveraging the bank's money uh, in order to make money. That's that's how um, th that real estate investing is is so lucrative. It ends up being about the same rate of return, like seven percent is what in real estate ends up in returning. The reason why people get so rich doing it is because they're leveraging somebody else's money. You can do it in accounts called margins, but it, it's not good. You 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 want to invest your own money, in my in my humble opinion. But um, so I would I would so is it that's the right question for everything? Is it wise? That's we ask that question about everything. I no, I don't think it's wise. Yes. Thank you. Appreciate y'all.